Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer, author, and software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Complete Developer Podcast. While most developers generally have at least a rough idea of what agile means, or at least what it means to them, a lot of non-technical people are a bit puzzled by the term. It's clear that it means a lot of different things to different people, And it's really important to get the explanation right if you want to be successful using it in a business context. In this episode, we're going to discuss ways of explaining Agile to non-technical stakeholders. But before we get started, Will, what's been agitating your Agile? I tried. Bile. Uh, Yeah, there you go. So I, you know, we had that storm. Friday that did all kinds of damage all the way across Tennessee, you know, killed the power here for like 17 hours. And I rebooted my desktop uh, that morning right after I got done with class uh, because it was, you know, telling me I needed to reboot for, for updates and I didn't think anything of it. Well, I got hit with a kernel update on my Ubuntu box. And because I have NVIDIA, uh, that's a video card brand, by the way, it's not something you catch on shore leave. It, for some reason, the kernel module that it needed was no longer compatible. And so my machine did not start up properly. And what was interesting to me was not that I was able to fix it that quickly and get everything else working. I think I had it all working within an hour after all that, you know, including a whole bunch of audio stuff that got screwed up, you know, updating drivers, switching, you know, what kernel I was using, you know, booting back, you know, changing my, you know, updating my drivers, rebooting again, going through, doing all the Jack Pulse, Ubuntu Studio Control config stuff that I had in the list. And I was back up after an hour. I was really, really happy that I was not really overly freaked out or stressed out about that. I was mad because I hate unattended updates of anything at this point. I mean, like, that's literally why I'm on on Ubuntu (laughs) is to get away from those, that specifically. But I I was pretty stoked that that went as well as it did. So yeah, that's, uh, that was my last week that, and, you know, just dealing with all the, the power outage related fun, man, you know, like the worst is, is like when it's starting to get dusky dark and the power's out and you're like, I can't even, I can't even really like read a book. Cause I don't know how long the power is going to be out. You know, I could use a light, but I may need that. You know, I may need that battery for something else, but yeah, uh, I think they've got most of it fixed. Although the, the road down here is still closed bunch of you know because like the road going towards the interstate from my house uh it's it's you know a long ridge line with all these trees and telephone poles and the 70 mile an hour winds hit it just (laughs) snapped all kinds of crap so yeah did you have fun down your way with it yeah i mean not near as bad as that there were a lot of winds and then i was at the gym when the storm actually hit so like i was running on the treadmill i looked out saw it pouring down rain. Well, no, you texted me and said, are you watching the weather? And I'm like, no, I'm at the gym. And I look over and I saw all the the rain just like pouring down. I was like, well, looks like I'm staying here a little bit longer. So I, you know, ran another half mile to a mile. I don't remember how far uh, more I went and then did some lifting. 
by the time I was done, it was like the storm had passed over. It was windy the rest of the day, but yeah, it wasn't that bad out here. I think when I texted you, I was sitting at the Chinese restaurant and the low pressure pulled the door open and like all the menus went flying. I mean, it was crazy in there. I was wow. like, ah, and then I was seeing on the weather, you know, cause they had the TV up with, with the weather and it was showing, you know, stuff getting close to you. And I'm like, ah, he probably needs to know about this. Cause you know, we're, we're developers, right? So we're on our computer and it's very easy to ignore the weather until it imposes itself. Yeah. Yeah. Not long ago, I had a friend message me. You watching the weather? I'm like, no, I'm working. So I, uh, I was like, it was the end of the day. So I finished up and saw the weather and I just went out, grabbed a, a camp chair and made a cup of tea and went out and sat and watched the weather on my front porch. That was actually a nice storm to watch. It was kind of fun. Yeah. And the clouds are weird looking at night too. They're oh, yeah. Strided and strange. Speaking of weather, we had a really nice weather last couple of days. Sunday uh, had the first bonfire of the year. I had some friends over and uh, we grilled, I guess you could call them steaks. So I went to, uh, I had bought this big box of like steaks and stuff um, frozen and I ate through it. It took several months, but I ate through it and I saw they're, they're having another sale like that. So I went and by the time I got there, they had sold out of everything, but these very thin ribeyes. And I mean, like, ooh, millimeters, I'm, no, like centimeters thin ribeyes. Like it, it was, I mean, I guess that could be practical if you want to be able to cook them quick. <laughs> you know? If you want to put them on a sandwich, it's, it's actually, yeah, on a I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd already told everybody to come over and I'd have steaks. So that's all they had. That's what I got. And it was like 20 of them for $40. So it wasn't that expensive. So I was just like. I marinated two for each person and then several people didn't show up. You know how that is. You invite 10 people over six show. That's just reality. Lives happen. Things change. But uh, anyway, so we did that. Made some vegetable skewers. My uh, my stuffed bell pepper game has gone up a bit. Yeah, I used to make those a lot back uh, when I was married to a vegan. And so she told me they were kind of bland. And so I started working on them back then. Hadn't made one in a hot minute, but one of my friends is a vegetarian. So I made her uh, stuffed bell pepper. And she was like, this is really flavorful. I'm like, yeah, should be. Put a lot of a lot of stuff in there. But yeah, it was, it was good. It was a lot of fun. And then my German friend taught us how to make uh, stick bread. And it's basically she'd made some dough, like homemade, and you wrap it around a stick, roast it over the fire to cook the dough. Ah, and then okay. you take it out and you stuff it with stuff. And we were doing sweet. So it was like we stuffed it with Nutella. So it was really good. So like a, like a, you know, roll it around a dowel or something, not like a stick from the woods. Well, <laughs> no, know? actually she was saying you, you get, you get like a, a big stick and you like cut the bark off. We just used, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I was, or like a curtain rod or something. I was yeah. like, like, cause you know, there's going to be that one person that's going to get, you know, poison sumac or something you know? <laughs> yeah yeah we just used the i had some marshmallow roasters with the split tongs we just wrapped it around that didn't really work out as well as we'd hoped but it was still good um i will say i got also got like the really big roasting marshmallows uh nice those are cool but they don't cook all the way through very well i don't think when you're doing it over a fire 
they're okay with that. It's just they are way too big for a single s'more. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's too much. So, well, you got to make, it's like a challenge mode, right? Like, so it, it can't be a, sno- a s'more for a normal situation. It's got to be a s'more for like, Hey, I want to see if my buddy can eat 12 of these. Yeah. Yeah. Something you know? like that. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about, I was like, it's got the same caloric content as four of the normal sized ones that you use for s'mores. And like, I usually use one for each s'more. So I'm like, all right, well, that was four times the size. So when I tried to make it, it was like all over the place, got all over me. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. We had a good time though. And then we came inside, my friend played piano and uh, I did venture uh, a little bit of guitar with them. So I, I played, played some guitar too. So we had a little music toward the end of the night. It was a lot of fun, man. Nice. Uh, looking forward to doing that again. So... Saving money is hard, especially when you make the big s'mores. Lucas Casadas is a fee-only certified financial planner. He owns and runs Level Up Financial Planning virtually out of Fort Collins, Colorado. And just like us here at Complete Developer Podcast, he focuses on helping you to not only establish a real plan, but also to take action so that you can live your best life. Now guys, investing in financial planning services really comes down to whether or not you can improve your finances. With the help of Level Up, the compounding impact of making those better financial decisions will easily pay for itself. Level Up also has a unique pricing model that will help you no matter where you are in your financial journey. And Best of all, Lucas is a fiduciary for his clients. What that means is he's not trying to sell you something, but instead guide you to a better financial situation. And if you want some of that guidance towards the better financial situation, you can catch his podcast, Techie Personal Finance Bootcamp, where he covers financial topics that you probably face and he interviews other IT professionals who share how they navigated their own careers. And you can learn even more at levelupfinancialplanning.com. Most of us have a reasonable working definition of what agile means in a software development context. We all know what it's supposed to mean what it means when implemented correctly. And, you know, we probably have some expectations when other developers use the term. However, when talking to a non-technical person, uh, especially someone in upper management, we often have a hard time articulating it. And the results of this can be quite disastrous. There are plenty of magazines, websites, and podcasts that delve into what Agile can do for an organization from the executive perspective. Because these are often written by people who tend to make a great deal of money if someone hires them, they often veer into showing Agile as a silver bullet for all the organization's problems. The thing is, developers can even exacerbate this by assuming that management understands the word the same way that they do. Yeah, one of the greatest weaknesses that developers have is a bias towards assuming that other people have the same knowledge as we do. I mean, look at security stuff, for instance, or just, you know, basic operating system maintenance stuff, right? We assume you get irritated with your aunt because she can't make her Windows machine behave properly. And she's got, you know, 50 different toolbars installed, right? You know, we make that assumption, you know, and this is common, right? It's a normal human failing, and it's something that you're going to see in any group of people that have a specialized knowledge base. And developers who find themselves in non-agile or fake agile environments are often really quick to complain and suggest doing things in a more agile manner. 
While this is fine if you explain exactly what you mean by that, it is absolutely not fine if you don't. Uh, It's best to be aware that there are a lot of misconceptions going around about what Agile is and what it is not. You really, really want to avoid having management try to implement Agile in the way that they understood it from an article they read in a business magazine at the airport. Ask me how I know. Uh, Yeah, no, thanks. (laughs) You don't want to rant? (laughs) Yeah, no. So guys, in this episode, uh, we're probably going to hear Will rant on several things, but we're also going to walk through some talking points that you should cover when explaining Agile to non-technical people. Uh, When you need to explain Agile to a non-technical person, especially a stakeholder who may make decisions that impact your team, you need to be very clear about what you mean by Agile and how it can specifically help software development teams. In particular, you need to be very clear about what benefits it does and does not offer to your development process. You also need to be wary of situations where executives are looking at Agile as a sort of magic wish fulfillment machine. You're going to want to dispel that notion from the beginning. So let's start off uh, with the most obvious thing, and that is that Agile is not necessarily about speed, even though the definition in English might kind of imply that. Agile is defined in the English language as marked by ready ability to move with quick, easy grace. While the word quick is in the definition, the word ability is probably the more salient part. But the word quick is the one that they're going to latch onto. Yeah. And the thing is, I think the, the, the important word myself is the move. Yeah. Like it, that, that ability to move quickly. And it's not you're, you're going fast. It's you're switching. You're changing fast. Like the, the idea here is to be able to smoothly implement a change due to a change in circumstances. I mean, we had a stakeholder review today and, you know, they asked some questions and said, hey, can we get this in there? It would make things easier for us. And we're like, oh, yeah, totally can do that. We'll write a story for it. And, you know, it may not be in the next one, but it'll be in like one of the next few pushes. And so, yeah, it was just it was one of those. But this is a response to change, not a way to simply run faster, you know you will often get more work done with an agile process. Usually this is by eliminating work that isn't useful, but the point isn't speed, it's adaptability. And the reason your speed goes up is you're able to change quickly. Yeah. I mean, like you remember in martial arts, like there were, there were always, there's always somebody in the group that was really, really focused on doing stuff fast. You know, they could do their technique. You know, they tried to do their techniques really, really fast and they, they always hit a ceiling on it. Whereas the person that tried to do it smoothly and get rid of wasted motion was often faster. Yeah. Not because they were actually trying to move faster, but just because they weren't doing crap that wasn't necessary. Um, and, and that's kind of what Agile does for you. So it is kind of about speed, but that speed isn't directly from going faster. It's more about being able to adjust to changes as they happen in order to avoid wasting effort. You know, as one of our teachers said, you know, speed is the absence of wasted motion. The next thing is it's about being able to quickly adjust to uncertainties and change. Nearly every business with an IT department is under constant pressure to adapt and change, whether it's 
economic changes, new competitors entering the market, new opportunities, or just simply technological changes. Those happen. Very, very few businesses are able to sit still. Yeah. And because of this, you can't really make the assumption that you know exactly what will be needed in six months to a year's time. And you definitely can't make a decision about what's going to be needed five years from now. There's a whole lot of people that just got a really rude awakening on that just with chat GPT, right? There's, Man, I really like it. Yeah, there's always going to be something like that that's going to pop out and just wreck whatever plans you had over the long term. Um, now, you can make educated guesses, but you don't want to ever be in a position to be held to those guesses over a longer term. And so when you, when you talk about Agile to managerial types, the, the way that it helps you deal with uncertainty and adjust over time, that that's a selling point that they're going to understand because like their, their entire job is basically trying to predict the future and not get yeah. fired for it. And, you know, unlike weathermen, they can get fired for it being wrong. I think weathermen get promoted for being wrong. Yeah, I do too. I actually asked uh, one of my coworkers uh, who lives in Huntsville because there's this weatherman down there and we always called him Panic Dan and she knew exactly who I was talking about. And bear in mind, when I lived there, it was 2000. Yeah. Uh, but dude is still on TV and he freaks out every time there's a storm because, you know, Huntsville's kind of a bowl. And so if there's a tornado that hits, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go in and make a mess. But dude is just over the top. I mean, yeah. like Saturday Night Live level freak out. Nice. You know, and, and so... I was like, oh, what did he say before the storm? She goes, I don't know. I was like, you need to go find that. <laughs> That's yeah. going to be on YouTube somewhere. If he's still around, it's happening. But so, yeah, you don't want to, you know, like that guy is trying to predict the future. And it's the same thing at the executive level, I guess is what yeah. I'm trying to say here. Like one of the main criticisms of the old waterfall methodology is that it involves creating a huge plan up front when that plan was based a lot on guesses that could be proven wrong in the middle of the project. Yeah. And the improper way of doing waterfall was one big plan, one big waterfall, basically. And so if you were wrong midway through the project, you couldn't stop halfway down the waterfall. Right. That's why you don't go chasing them. Yeah. Stick to the rivers and the lakes <laughs> that you're used to. Another thing about Agile is that it is typically understood to be a mindset, not a particular framework. Um, you'll mm -hmm. have people say, oh, they're not doing Agile properly. I always kind of flinch when I hear that no true Scotsman type discussion of stuff because I think that if you're, if you're seeing such a preponderance of people doing things the wrong way, then you know, it's, it's the way that that thing is being expressed, not all the people that got it wrong at some level. But there is a... You know, a tendency to tailor agile to what you are doing, right? So if you're doing agile development and you are working on software for NASA that is going to be, you know, lobbed at Neptune next year or something, and you're not going to be able to do an update, then that is going to be a different environment than some dude bro's social media app that he's building, right? Yeah. It's just, it's, they're just it's it's night and day and there is a significant variance in the way that agile practices are implemented in different organizations even in the same sector you know they just simply have different needs and different people with different skills working there right because you may have somebody that really you know 
has to have a whole lot more structure. And, you know, they've been working there 20 years. You're going to have to put that structure there. Yeah. Yeah. However, the mindset of Agile is very similar. While the implementations may be different, that mindset is is similar across the board, at least where it's working well. It's essentially a growth mindset applied to software development. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, you kind of touched on a thing there too. It's it's similar where it's working. It is vastly yeah. different where it is not. There is um is it Anna Karenina, I think, where it starts out, you know, like all happy families are the same and all unhappy ones are unhappy in their own way. Yeah. I, I believe that's what that was from. I'd have to go back and look now. But you definitely see that in Agile. Now, Agile, the Agile mindset prioritizes individuals uh, having working software, collaboration with the customers, and being able to respond to change. Um, and if that mindset is not there, the process doesn't really help you, right? Because if you, if you don't have that mindset, then the process just becomes a panopticon because you're constantly trying to monitor something rather than trying to respond to situations as they come up. Now, the next thing is that the events of the agile life cycle are designed to facilitate agility and reduce uncertainty, not increase speed or avoid best practices. You know, planning the work just before executing it allows you to adjust things like scope and schedule based on the current situation in the team. Now I have had to like clarify this with some of my team members at work where I was like, Hey, I know like we're in our morning meeting and he's like, Oh, Hey, um, I've got this bit working and I'm now making it do this. And I was like, that's not in the scope of the story you're working on. It's like, yeah, but we talked about it the other day. I was like, yeah, we talked about it when we were, refining the story to do that. You don't have to do it in your story, man. Don't don't stress about doing things you don't have to do, you know? But like he he had that mindset of, hey, like it changed. I need to go ahead and apply the change. Like it's not a bad mindset to have. It's just, hey, this isn't the place to do that. Wait till that that story comes up to do that. Right, cuz it may change before then. Right. And and you know, the the goal is to avoid the uh the wasted work. And, you know, then you have other, uh, other things like your daily standup, which is intended to allow problems to quickly be surfaced and handled by the team, even though in a fair few organizations, it actually turns into a daily progress report to management. Um, yeah. You know, that's something you, you're going to want to get clear early on. It's like, hey, this is just, you know, we come together so that we can make sure that everybody's unblocked and has what they need. Mm-hmm. And, and we move on. But when you try to sell it to management, they're like, oh, well, that's a progress report. It's like, no, 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 bro. That's not what this is. Yeah. yeah we're, we're dealing with a little bit of that, mainly just because with the what we're doing, there's not as much metrics. And upper upper management recently changed, and they're like, oh, hey, we need more metrics. And why, are, why is this team who's doing a slightly different process getting metrics and this team isn't? And it's like, because we're not doing the same thing, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm pretty lucky on that one. We got a we got a new project manager slash scrum overlord. I don't know exactly what you what his real position title is, but he's dealing with all this stuff. And yeah. you know, just going, you know, it's a 15-minute stand up and you are going to hurry, you know, bring up anything extraneous. 
you know, know your role. Like it, it's like clockwork. It has cleaned it up so much just in the last couple of weeks. And that's what you want. Yeah. See, we have this, it's, we're, we're doing sort of a Kanban approach, but it's all the stuff is contained in one, like 50 minute meeting. So we don't have a separate, I like it because we don't have to have separate meetings that take up time. And I was explaining because he was wanting to start doing a separate, no, what's the last R? Refinement or retrospective? Retrospective, that's it, yeah. They're wanting to start doing that separate from that meeting. I was like, that's fine, but understand if it's an hour long meeting, it's going to take two hours away from development work. Right. I was like, why is that? And I was like, because 30 minutes before we won't be able to get do anything because we'll have to be like, hey, I can't get into anything because I'm going to go to this meeting. And then it's going to take about 30 minutes after that meeting to ramp back up to get back to where we were before we stopped. So every one of those is going to be two hours of downtime versus one hour that we already have built into the day where we plan that and we're already here. So we've so far we've been able to work it in, but uh, we also do refinement and anything like, oh, hey, I've got this issue or that issue. But it's like we try to get the stand-up portion out of the way first so that if, say, hey, like one of the developers is struggling with something and we don't have anything else, we can be like, all right, well, just the developers can stay on. We don't need the product owner and the designer and the QA to sit here and talk about HTTP gets. I mean, I've been having some issues with caching lately. So, you know, you know, because they don't they don't care about that, you know, and it doesn't affect them and they're you know, not likely to have input on it. You never know. They could, but it's not part of their job. Well, it's probably not a good use of their time either. Right. That's that's what I was getting at. That Yeah, it's just not the best use of their time. So I guess a little bit off topic there. Sorry. So getting back on topic, just like, you know, we we're talking about a, a backlog refinement uh, is intended to clarify the items that need to be done up to the current state understanding of management or product owner or whoever as opposed to waterfall doing the same up to management's understanding at the very beginning and i can tell you just this like guys just this one application i've been working on the last what six eight months we have changed so many times like completely changed directions we get something out there and they start using it and be like oh hey this is cool and it's what we asked for, but we really need it to do this other thing and like completely changed it. Or like one thing we were going to do the dashboard at the very end, like after we got all the pieces built and they were like, Hey, can we get this part of the dashboard now? Cause it would really save us a lot of time to be able to use that right away. So we just like, we we moved that from the bottom of our backlog up to the top and did some refining on it and like changed it up a little bit to fit what they needed. And then we got it out there and they're like, hey, this is great, but we really don't need these other pieces. Can we just get rid of them? And it was like, yeah, yeah, we could do that. That's not hard at all. Yeah. <laughs> Deleting code is easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully. But yeah, but no, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like if we were doing waterfall, we would have built this whole thing out and then handed it over to them and then be like, all right, we can kind of use this. Right. Or we're going to have to hammer our process into this software, which is not what you want to happen. Now, another important thing with Agile when you're talking to executives or non-technical people is to point out that 
continuous improvement of the process is also part of the process. When you commit to Agile, it's understood that the team can still make changes to how you do things as they go along. Depending on your team, the structure of your organization, the type of problem you're dealing with, and regulatory concerns, it's expected that you're going to adjust along the way. Can you imagine having like a two-year project that was planned in advance and all of a sudden you find, oh yeah, hey, we've got to do this major SSL upgrade in the middle of it, or there's this new regulatory thing where... They, they got tired of the government got tired of something and decided that they're going to, you know, drop the hammer on how you're storing certain kinds of data and you got to rework it. I mean, that's a disaster a year into a big project like that. If you, yeah. you know, don't have the ability to adjust. Absolutely. I was thinking about um, just adjusting the process, kind of what I was saying about the retrospectives that, uh, that we had where that we were like, all right, let's figure this out. And we, we did change it up a little bit to help our uh, our scrum master get the kind of metrics that he needed. But we were able to do that by working as a team rather than just go, hey, let's have another meeting. We we're able to do that and pull it into our existing meetings. You know, essentially, you're kind of going a bit meta here. Just like the big design up front was replaced for your project by an iterative process, Agile does the same thing for your team management process. So the process that manages your process just got processed. Yo, dog. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, <laughs> it's so meta, man. But it kind of is, right? Like, I mean, that's the most obvious thing in the world. It's like, hey, the way we're managing projects has to be fast and iterative. You know, we don't want this big design up front because it it boxes us in and makes us have to make dumb decisions. And then you go, well, let's, let's get Agile perfectly implemented right out of the gate. And you're mm-hmm. doing exactly the same thing on another project, essentially. And yeah. So it's, it's just kind of right there in front of you. Like, hey, we can't do it this way. Mm-hmm. The thing is, this is very, very important to explain, uh, especially to executives, because you're not generally going to see a sudden improvement in productivity right after starting Agile. A lot of times you'll see a decrease uh, in productivity and then an increase. The team has to have time to adjust to the process and kind of make it their own. And it goes back like a great way to to describe this to management because they've probably heard this in a lot of leadership stuff is the team formation the yeah. storming norming or the forming storming norming and performing you sound like hey it may be the same people doing the same jobs but we're by changing the process we're changing the team so they have to go back through that forming where they figure out what they're doing that storming when they're they're making it their own to norming where they'd be like, all right, we've got this, we got this process down. We're figuring out how to optimize it. And then performing, they've made it to that optimization. And if you kind of put it in those terms, a lot of executives are gonna, yeah, that's like language they speak. Right. Uh the other way I've I've explained it to people is in terms of diet. Like if you're trying to change your diet to have more energy, probably the first few days after you you know make a major dietary change you're not going to have more energy. You're going to feel like crap. Yeah. And it's, it can be kind of like that too. Um, it depends on what kind of layperson you're explaining it to, right? Like you explain it to an executive, what, what you did works. Whereas if you're explaining it to somebody who you're either not sure of their background or you know that they are not a person that is in that executive, you know, manage managerial type role for whatever reason, or haven't been, you know, the diet analogy uh, will help you out quite a bit as well. Yeah. So 
the next one is that it's about regularly releasing things that work. I mean, one of the most useful things about Agile is that it embraces feedback loops at every level. And towards that end, an Agile team should regularly be shipping out work that stakeholders can easily evaluate. Yeah, I mean, this this helps avoid the risk of spending a year or more building something that the client does not want. And it also helps to avoid the tendency of developers to gold plate things needlessly because they think that something is going to be needed at some point in the future. Like it, it kind of tamps down on that. Yeah. This also ensures that processes ancillary to development are treated as ongoing concerns. You know, in order to avoid things like QA, DevOps, documentation, and UX being left until the very last minute. Yeah, and I mean, I've worked on process- agile projects like that too, where that happened. Yeah, yeah. our process includes QA and UX. Our DevOps is sort of an ongoing process, but documentation is a little bit of a pain. And I, I've recently just been like, hey, I had to go back into some of our older code from about six, eight months ago. And I'm like, we need documentation on this. Yeah, there's, I've got a friend who you know, has kind of done a presentation on agile documentation and we really ought to get him on the podcast. We ought to get him on here for multiple other reasons too, but yeah, um, that would be a really good one. That would. So the next thing you've got to express to somebody when you're talking about agile is that it is an ongoing process, not an event. You have to explain that you will not fix the problems with your development group by going agile as if that's just a thing that you do once and it's over with. Rather, it's something that you start doing and then you have to maintain it. Yeah, I mean, it's it goes back to, you know, it's a process of self-improving the process. Like, if you're not constantly looking to improve the process, like, it's not a, well, go back to what you said about the, the silver bullet. It's not, like, this perfect answer. Because if it were, you wouldn't have to improve the process. Right. You just spend some money with an Agile consultant and the problem goes away, uh, like you read in the business magazine. Yeah. Now, you should emphasize here that Agile is intended to improve things over the long term. This is not an immediate fix to a big problem. It's the difference between a fad diet and a lifestyle change. You know, the latter is slower, but is less prone to catastrophic failure or regression. Right. I mean, like, look at what you've done with your diet, right? Over the last, what, two years? Two years, yeah. When you started, right? Like, you don't eat the same as you used to because you used to eat like I do. (laughs) And, you know, that, that has made a difference, right? Like you're able to stick with it because you, you made slow changes and kind of built up and it became part of who you are. You know, this is something that you do and it becomes part of your team's identity versus just being, oh, this is a thing that we did once to fix a problem. Right. You know, and bear in mind, you know, people get the other side of this backward too, right? Like overworking, or doing a death march, there are times when that is potentially necessary. Very, very few of them. But what happens? You get teams that make that the identity. And it's not. It's a Band-Aid. And so you just got to kind of kind of look at it like that. Like, hey, you know, if you're in a messed up situation, whatever you've been doing does not work. Often the desire for a quick and dirty fix to problems is kind of what led you to the situation where Agile got imposed. You know, therefore, it's best not to cash, characterize Agile as a quick and dirty fix itself. Yeah. Well, finally, Agile does not correct a lack of prioritization, 
a lack of personnel or other organizational problems. You know, agile requires sufficient and sufficiently skilled personnel to do the work. Like it's not going to just magically convert your two person junior developer team into senior developers with architecture experience. But what it will do is make the problem more obvious as the roadblocks are discussed. And that's the thing. It is something you probably shouldn't be very clear with management is it's going to bring to light problems that have been hidden up to this point. And so it's going to look like it's causing all these problems, but really it's not causing the problems. It's identifying them and saying, hey, you've had these problems all along. You need to address them. Right. One thing I've noticed with a lot of CEO types, I'm just going to go ahead and rant, (laughs) is that they try to do the agile as a silver bullet thing. And it's like, okay, why do you need a silver bullet? Because you made a werewolf, goober. That's why you need a silver bullet. Don't do that. And so when you're at the point where you're trying to, you know, correct really, really majorly screwed up stuff, it is not going to get fixed overnight. Like I worked at one company where we had, I think, four or five people on a team dealing with a pretty good sized code base. The next company I worked at had a slightly smaller code base when I started. It got bigger over time, Um, but they had 30 people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the second one was, was run much better. Now they, they had some fat that had to get trimmed too, but um, they at least were not continually running into staffing issues where people were having to work 60 hours a week to try to keep systems running. And yeah, it, it's, you really can't fix stuff. You know, you're not necessarily fixing stuff with agile. It's almost like, you know, honestly what it is, is it's therapy for your business process. Right. Like it's, it's like, you've got to, you've got to shrink. You're going to, the shrink is going, Hey, isn't the way you're dealing with this kind of screwed up? You know, did you, did you, did you flip out and Karen out in the grocery store yesterday? Maybe if you did that, you've got a problem. Well, maybe if you're in a position where your team is having to work 70 hours a week, you have a problem that you need to, to deal with the therapist, you know, they're, they're get paid regardless of whether they fix the problem or not. But it's on you to fix the problem. It just surfaces it and, and lets you have a dialogue with that problem. Yeah. And I, I think that's the thing that really, really gets missed a lot in Agile. Um, and and it really contributes a lot to broken Agile environments, frankly, because you end up in a situation where, you know, the the therapist and the client essentially have a recurring conversation about exactly the same problems over and over again, which, you know, is a characteristic of a busted agile environment. It it really is the same thing. So agile does not ever, ever remove stakeholder responsibility for setting priorities and holding to them. This is another big one. If you change priorities all the time or everything is top priority, then there isn't a methodology that is going to help you. Yeah. You know, like, it's it's like the old thing of I can't overcome physics. Yeah, you know, like I had a I had a friend that was talking about latency between a server farm. I think it was in Chicago and Singapore, and they're like, well, you know, the company's willing to pay you know x hundred million dollars to fix this problem. It's like if the company could actually fix this problem, they should put that money towards faster than light travel because they're going to have to bend physics for it, right? You're 
Agile is not going to fix an immutable object going or a unstoppable force going against an immovable object. It's just going to make it very obvious that there is a bang when that happens. So yeah, yeah. rant, yeah, slash rant. Sorry. <laughs> you knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Yes. If your organization is massively disorganized, agile will help you to see that, but you still have to prioritize fixing it and do the work to actually fix it. It's going to be clear that it hasn't been a priority so far or that you just haven't been willing to do the work, which means it wasn't a priority. You, know, you can prioritize and say, hey, this is important and nobody does the work. You got to do the work to, to actually make a difference. Agile isn't going to do the work for you. It's just going to tell you that you need to work on something. Yeah. And, and that's really the important part, right? That is your feedback cycle as a stakeholder. This is your part of the process. It's like, hey, here's the feedback. I suck at organizing things and my prioritization is hot garbage. Well, now that I know that, I should probably work on fixing that because it turns out that's really important for executive function. You know, like it's your career too, right? So yeah, yeah, you just have to kind of be really careful explaining that, you know, it's not going to get them out of fixing problems. It's just going to make the problems obvious. So guys, explaining Agile to non-technical people, especially executives, is difficult. It's also something that you are likely to have to do at some point especially as some segments of the business press do so in a spectacularly incorrect and misleading fashion. If a non-technical person has heard of Agile, they probably have misconceptions about it that aren't going to help. Well-implemented Agile will make most organizations more responsive to change and will allow for quicker delivery of working software. But the way that that happens is a bit counterintuitive. If you're not used to it, it's easy to get the wrong impression of what should be happening at the earlier stages of the process. Worse still, if a non-technical person is in a decision-making position for the Agile team, they may force Agile to be something that it is not, like a panopticon, for instance. It's important that we explain these things correctly. Otherwise, Agile gone bad has the potential to be as bad or worse as any other methodology out there. That's all we've got. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Standby for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. For references, show notes, and extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Help us make the show possible by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash completedeveloperpodcast. You'll get extras, including a weekly aftercast where we discuss the topic of the week and bonus material with some of our patrons. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod, like our page on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to keep up with news about the show. Join the conversation anytime via Slack by signing up at slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.